Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Kubernetes Unpacked podcast. I am here with Anton Smith, head of product over at Spectro Cloud. And today we are going to be talking about the CKA, the Certified Kubernetes Administrator, which we've actually had a podcast about this before, but there is a big difference. Uh, we're going to be talking with Anton about it from a product perspective. So Anton, I'm going to, I'm going to let you talk about it in a sec, but just to set the stage here, Anton is a product leader. So not focused on engineering, focused more on product. And he took the CKA and he passed the CKA. So I, I think this is very interesting because usually we hear engineers talking about certification and stuff like that, but very rarely do we hear anybody from product talking about getting a, uh, heavily engineering focused certification like the CKA. So Anton, welcome. Thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me, Michael. I'm very happy to be here. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. So, uh, you know, like I said in the intro, right, this is uh, I, I think this is interesting all around because, you know, I don't know what you're actually, you know what, maybe you could tell us what is your background? Like, do you have an engineering background? Do you have more of a product and marketing background? What does that kind of look like for you? Yeah, I'm a little bit of a strange one because I, I do have a computer science degree uh, that I got about 20 years ago or something. Um, the thing is that I didn't go into software development, though. I probably should have studied something else. I should have studied electrical engineering or something like that because I got into telecoms. So most of my career was, or the beginning, the first 10 years was doing test design architecture for service provider networks. So I'm actually a Juniper, Cisco, Alcatel, Nokia jockey on routers, love them. Uh, and eventually went into product management building routers at Ericsson. So the first 5G, actually 5G transport routers um, was my first product that I got to work on. So I was super hyped about that. But most of the time, you know, I wasn't building products until that stage. So no software development. Networks, though, as you know, like software-defined networking came along out of the service provider networking and data center industry. And so then Kubernetes came along somewhere along that, you know, and in parallel, I was I was watching it, but I wasn't working with it on a day-to-day -day basis. And then after I started the product management track for routers, I didn't leave product management. So I stayed there uh, until uh, now I'm at, at Spectro Club. Got so, it. Interesting. So yeah, a mixed background. Engineering, yes. Technical, yes. But not really Kubernetes and container management until recently. Got it. Interesting. So you, your, your, uh, your background is very big in network engineering, network architecture, and then now you're kind of moving into the cloud realm. Yeah, exactly. And I started that journey maybe five years ago, I decided I needed to get into cloud. So I went to a few startups, mm. um, did stuff with them and Kubernetes actually came along at one of those. It was in 2017. That's the first time I got near it, but I still wasn't hands-on. You know, funny enough, I, I get the question all the time, almost every day. What are the prerequisites uh, to get into Kubernetes? What are the prerequisites do I need to know to be successful in the Kubernetes realm? And I would say 80% of it is networking. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I mean, because I, you know, my background, I, I've done everything from like, I started out my career in systems administration. I moved into software development later on, but you know, I, if I didn't have the systems administration and network and, uh, and engineering background, if I didn't set up Cisco ASAs and routers and switches and gateways and, and all of these things, if I didn't rack and stack this stuff in data centers, 
I definitely would not understand Kubernetes to the level that I understand it because really, you know, when you, when you peel back the onion and when you take away all the abstraction that we kind of see in today's world, it's just networking and scaling. (laughs) I mean, you know, if you don't, I'm not saying you got to be a double CCIE here, but if you don't understand how routing works, if you don't understand how ports work, how firewalls work, how traffic works, um, how flat networks work, if you don't understand that stuff, I don't think that you can be successful in Kubernetes. Well, what do you think? I've, I think that you're right. I, I like to boil it down to basics. I also forgot to mention I was at Canonical for a while, the Ubuntu guys, and I was the product manager for Maz, Metal as a Service. So I've got a real soft spot for getting back to basics and being near the metal. I don't know why, but I just love it. I love playing with computers in my spare time, building them, debugging them because I broke something. I've got a bad dim or something like that. But I th- I think... That is that comes from a need for me to understand the basics. Like I almost, I, I kind of stop at the optical physics layer because I that's just too much for me, too much math. But like this is a turtle that's built up. Like Kubernetes is turtles on turtles on turtles by the time you get to it. But underneath the same fundamentals are always there is compute, storage, network. Those three primitives are probably it. And um, once you understand networking, like how a switch works and how a router works, you understand how packets are processed. You, that makes it much easier for you to understand what's going on with Kubernetes on each node. Like how is it? How are you creating a service, for example? Well, you're intercepting the packets and you're rewriting some of the headers and you're maybe doing that. You're doing some tunnels. So all of that comes very naturally if you have the fundamentals, understanding how networks and even VLANs work is probably enough for you to start to figure a lot of things out. Yeah, it's I, I, I agree with you 100%. It's always so funny and ironic to me that, you know, a lot of the newer engineers or even the engineers that, you know, have uh, 20 years as a sysadmin, they've been managing uh, ESXi boxes for the past 20 years and they jump into Kubernetes and they're kind of like, whoa, this thing, I don't know what I'm doing, yada, yada. And, you know, and I, from a training perspective or from a consulting perspective, I'm always peeling back the onion and I'm like, look, it's the same thing you've been doing. <laughs> the only difference is you're, you're hitting everything with an API. Other than that, it's all the same stuff, really. I mean, Kubernetes, in my opinion, is literally what we've been doing for over a decade now. I mean, it's just, it's just, there's, you know, not even talking about the cloud services, not talking about AKS, EKS, GK. If you're just talking about raw Kubernetes cluster, you got your control planes, you got your worker nodes, they're sitting somewhere in bare metal, virtualized, whatever. If you look at it, and you 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 take it and you put it next to an ESXi box and that those ESXi boxes you're managing with vCenter you're conceptually I understand you know b- before anybody says there's a difference between containers and VMs I understand <laughs> but, but conceptually when you look at it it's that you're doing the same thing uh, yeah that's exactly right so in the networking world with software-defined networking, we say that we're splitting out the control plane and the data plane. If you want to say that the device that's running the workload is a data plane and the thing that's coordinating everything else about how to set that up and stitch it all together as the control plane, then it, conceptually it's exactly the same. 
Yep. No, a hundred percent. totally agree. So, uh, you know, the thinking about the CKA, you know, you, you've been in the product realm for a long time. Um, I'm assuming, correct me if I'm wrong, please. You've been, uh, I'll, I don't know. I don't want to call it hands off cause I know you're hands on still, but, um, hands off. It's from like, like a production slap in the face engineer. these days, isn't it? Yeah. So I don't want to say it, but, um, from a, you know, working in production environments, implementing from an engineering perspective, you know, versus being on the product side. It, I think it's been a little bit for you, right? If, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. I haven't been working in any production networks even, uh, for quite some time. That's right. right. So, uh, now going into your CK, it's almost like you're diving back into a production level environment. Cause when you take that exam, you know, the whole, the whole idea of the exam is, Hey, you're working in an environment and this thing's broken, go fix. Um, so, you know, uh, Going back to your roots there from that perspective of, you know, diving into the CK, how was that for you? Um, I loved it. The first, so the first thing is that I loved it, but that, that's because I love learning. Um, it's also very relevant. So I, I should go back to why the product manager's favorite or well, most important thing for them to be good at is go back to why. Kind of simple and obvious. I am working at Spectra Cloud and they're they're building Kubernetes management, right? And it's like, so we're going to have customers who are going to use that platform to manage Kubernetes, and I'm the head of product there. I better sharpen up. Like, I need to understand what the primitives and everything are, even though I understand the conceptual, you know, mm-hmm. the way that the architecture and everything hangs together roughly, because we're just repeating similar design patterns. I still need to know some of the specifics. I need to be able to have intelligent conversations about it. I need to be able to, even for me to learn, right? So if I'm going to learn more about what customers are doing with their Kubernetes clusters and with our product, and I'm going to be good at that, then I need to bootstrap myself to be able to absorb that new information directly. I am getting it third hand, right? Like I'm, I'm getting production information from what people are doing with it. And I need to be able to decipher that and, and take it on board so that I can do my job properly as a, as a product manager. So that was the main reason why. And I felt that doing CKA was a good challenge to sort of force myself to, to do training, to do study, and then to prove it as much to myself as to anybody else, actually, because you mentioned hands-off before. That does hurt sometimes. Like, you know, I mean, emotionally, I miss that a lot. I don't have a lot of time to do hands-on anymore, unfortunately, but it, it was a little bit of a personal, let's say it was a bit personal as well. I really wanted to do it and I had my heart set on it. So, it, you know, there's that. And then the fact that it's very relevant to my, to my role. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting. I, I've, I've, you know, done just a bunch of stuff throughout my career and there's been times, you know, like a year, a year and a half where I was hands off. Like I was out of production. I was just doing training and creating content and doing more like dev relish type of stuff. Um, so I've been there and I I just remember the whole time it was just kind of like, ah, like I miss solving problems. I mix, I miss fixing this thing because Again, you know, for, for me, I, you know, a portion of my business and being independent is, uh, you know, consulting and being hands on and the other part is content. So there are months, three to four months, maybe out of the year, three, three to five months, even where I'm just doing content 
And then the other six, five months or so I'm doing content and consulting. So there is that time where I'm like, you know, it's, there's just this differentiation between being the person that's fixing the problem and being the person that's talking about how to fix the problem. And both of these things are, are very much needed. But for me, you know, my, I, I'm an engineer at heart, so I, I, I gotta be fixing a problem or two, <laughs> at, at least throughout the year once. Um, you know, that's always my goal. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, and, and, and going back to what you said from a product perspective, I've worked with several product managers uh, throughout my career, and some have not had an engineering background and some have had an engineering background. And all of them are great in their own ways. But what I will say, hopefully the pitchforks don't come out, is that the product managers that I've worked with, with engineering backgrounds, it's easier to... It's easier to get them to understand that... um, How can I put it? It's easier to get them to understand that everything is not just like, okay, here's a schedule. Here's the thing that needs to be done. Like, no, we hit this bug. No, we have to implement this feature. No, we have this thing and it's going to push the timelines out. And uh, product managers with engineering backgrounds understand that. And I think that it's easier uh, for those product managers to relay to upper management because everybody has a manager, everybody has somebody that, that they need to report to. And if the product manager that, that, that doesn't have an engineering background can't properly um, uh, speak to the leader or speak to the manager in terms of like, hey, it's getting pushed out because of this. If they can't properly do that, then it goes to the engineer and the engineer's in trouble. So it's it's always one of these things where it's like it's a it's a nice cascade to have a product manager that has an engineering background. Mm. Yeah, I've certainly seen that there are different kinds of product managers. You know, at some companies they have what they call TPMs, technical PMs, um, marketing PMs, which and they're they're either more inward focused or more outward focused. They probably work together in those cases. And then, but I think what we see, especially in smaller companies, you don't really have the leeway to have two different types of product managers working together. So you need a, some kind of a hybrid. And they're, you know, I think that they're quite hard to find. I certainly look for product managers like that. Mm-hmm. I, I call them unicorns because they have to be really good at communication. They don't, I don't expect them to be great at engineering, except for the fundamentals, as I mentioned before. I just want them to, to, to be able to dive deep with an engineer if they need to, if they think that they need to spend time on that, but also to pull up and get out of that whenever they need to as well, because the breadth of things that we have to care about is, is, is very deep as well. Mm-hmm. You know, play with words, just turn it sideways 90 degrees. But this is a challenge. And, and for me, this is a personal challenge as well. I, because I, you, you might've gathered that I like to understand how everything works right down to the bits and bytes down to the bottom, but I don't have time for that anymore. So now I have to do this kind of, I call it, I was like using analogies from computer science, but compression, I need to throw away a whole or not spend time on a whole bunch of stuff so that I can keep at least the high level points in my head at any given time. So I'll go and read up on something like Cilium, for example, just to get a, a brief, and then I'll move on like a locust to the next thing because I don't have time to stay there. So the, and, and I don't like doing that because I feel like I had a cursory knowledge of the thing 
but I only need to get enough knowledge to do my job. And that's what I struggle with is to walk away sometimes and do something else. Yeah. Tell me about it. I, I feel the same way because, <laughs> uh, you know, as somebody that's, I mean, as you know, when, when you're working in the Kubernetes space it, to the outside world, it sounds like you're, fo- you're, you're in a specific focus or niche. But the reality is, is that Kubernetes is something that's so wide and vast. It's not something that you're like, yeah, I focus on Kubernetes. It's like, no, some days I got to dive into Cilium. Other days I got to dive into storage. Yeah, it's, it's, it's all over the place. Observability or security. I mean, that, so to go back to your original question about what it was like doing CKA, I, uh, um, I realized that that's just the beginning, right? That's just the bootstrap. Um, and even itself covered a lot of ground. So I did the Mimshalad course, uh, which I found to be very good, actually, um, just because it was all so nice and self-contained and covered the breadth of everything. Um, uh, I, I think it was like being forced to learn all the specifics about things, how things actually work. Like when you're scheduling a pod, how exactly does that work? Because you're going to be asked... You're going to get some questions where you've got to figure out why that thing's not scheduling. Mm-hmm. And so like, you know, I found it quite good to look that maybe the scheduler is not there or the, the controller is not there for that particular function. And that helps me to better understand the, the architecture and the specifics. Um, but now I'm realizing that there's just so much more out there. I mean, you know, the hellscape that people talk about, the, the CNCF hellscape. Like that's on every single person's slides, by the way, stop putting them in your slides, people. It's boring. We get it, (laughs) but it's, it's just immense. And, uh, you know, I've kind of decided that I will not try to pursue every single thing. Rather, I will try to do, I will try to add value to my company by doing the things that I'm good at doing, which I hope is communication and a whole bunch of other things, prioritizations and so forth. And let the observability experts be the observability experts. Let the Cilium people, that you know, let them all be the, do those things because they're the best at it. And I will just work on communicating with them to extract whatever the most important things are uh, or to inject things that we need to do, like product functionality or features. Yep. Um, yeah. I don't know. Uh, it seems to be going okay, but... <laughs> no, I, I totally agree with you. And I... I I would actually say that I think being an expert at something is uh, just not realistic in today's world, you know, and, and I've had comments on, you know, cause I, you know, I, I post stuff on LinkedIn all the time. I post stuff on Twitter all the time. And, you know, as we all know, uh, when you have a brand and when you're building a brand and when you have, you know, X amount of people following you, there's a few that, you know, want to, you know, try to put you down and all that stuff. That's, that's, that's very common in this space, whether you're a YouTuber, whether you're a blogger, there's always going to be people that try to put you down. And I've had comments where it's like, you know, this, you're wrong here, you're wrong there, yada, yada, blah, blah, blah. And you know what? Fine. I'm, I'm more than happy to say that I'm wrong whenever, you know, I don't have an ego when it comes to that stuff. I'm, I'm not in, I, I'm never going to be the person that's like, I'm always right. I'm always right. And I think that's because I live in an uncomfortable reality all the time. And, and the uncomfortable reality is that you cannot know everything, especially mm-hmm. in this space, you know, uh, going, thinking about the CNCF landscape, there are over 1300 tools. I'm not going to know them all. I'm not going to mm-hmm. be an expert in all of them. 
Maybe no. I'll know two of them real good. <laughs> Other than that, it's impossible there, to be an expert in the space. There's two things that, that that I think of when you bring that up. So the first one is um, uh, just in time. I, I told you I like analogies, right? Just in time compilation. Yep. So, you know, get good at the basics, get really good at those basics and those primitives like storage and all this other stuff. And then when the time comes and you need to get good about something, then you have the ability to do so fairly quickly and fairly efficiently. Because as you build, as you do this over and over and over again, it's like learning a new language. First one's hard. The ones after that become easier because you've learned how to learn a language. That mm -hmm. makes sense. Totally. And the second thing that goes tightly with that is something that I'm not particularly good at, but I, I wish I were better. I look at people who are champions in the world and I understand something about them. Most of them are humble. So the thing is that, that, that the, the humbleness means that you don't, um, uh, that you're open for learning. Mm -hmm. And the best way to learn is by doing things wrong or losing. Like my son, he gets really angry when he loses chess at chess, like against me, and he's only five. And I tried to tell him like, hey, you know what? You're going to be a great chess player if you just get really good at losing. Mm -hmm. Or being humbled or being put in a situation where you don't understand the tech and you handle it well, right? That's the analogy. Yeah, I, I think that it's so incredibly important. And this is, you know, where egos get in the way and yada, yada. But I think it's so incredibly important for everybody to understand that you will be wrong. You will always be learning. There is no end goal here when it comes to learning. You know, it's always you have to be open to taking in information. You have to be open to being wrong. You know, that's, you know, I see a lot of people that get upset when they're wrong about something. And mm -hmm. to me, I'm always like, why? Why, why does it, why does it matter? You know, cause you don't want this person to look at you a different way. Who cares how this person's looking at you? doesn't matter. You're not going to know who that person is in five years, probably, <laughs> you know, it, it doesn't matter, you know? Um, so, you know, thinking about, you know, from, from a product management perspective, especially, I mean, I, I have to think, or I have to assume that, you know, because you have to take in so much information all the time, doing something like a CK, trying to understand what, Kubernetes is as a whole, especially if you're working in an organization like you are, where you're building out uh, uh, products for Kubernetes. So I, I have to wonder, it, do you think that it's a recommendation at this point for product managers, uh, technical product managers that are speaking to customers that are working on the technical pieces of getting a Kubernetes product out into the wild? Would you say that it's a recommendation at this point to dive into Kubernetes, to do your CKA, or even if you don't get the certification to at least go through the training? Yes. <laughs> no hesitation, because I, what I found is that, that having the CKA um, or having done the work, sorry, that's the most important thing. Having done the work to get the CKA has been immensely useful for me in my role, both for understanding customers and for uh, you know, our, our product, because our product is built on top of Kubernetes as well. It's cluster API based. Mm, um, I didn't know that. Interesting. Huh. Yeah. So that means that I need to sometimes, you know, I'm, we're checking something out and I'm talking to the engineers and they're like, can you go and can you go and get the logs for me from that pod? And I'm like, you know what? I can. <laughs> <laughs> 
which is nice. You know, I don't have to say, hey, you have to log screen share and jump into my machine and do all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and it gives a deeper understanding for the product. And I think that that is useful because, you know, the time comes where you're like doing prioritization. Do we need to fix these bugs? Do we need to do this? Do we need to do that? And you're like, well, actually, I kind of understand why that one is more important than that one. Right, 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 right. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. I think that, you know, again, you don't have to know how to go build out a a hundred node cluster in various availability zones and make sure that it has 99.999% uptime. But I wouldn't mind trying. Exactly. (laughs) Well, that's because you're a unicorn, as we've discussed. Um, But, (laughs) you know, as, as a as a technical product manager, in, in general, right? Because I, I think for, you know, folks like us, uh, we enjoy diving into it because we, we find it interesting and fascinating. Um, and, and we're in the, the 10% of the world that likes to do that stuff. Uh, we, we, we enjoy the pain, I'll say. But, you know, for everybody else, uh, I think that you don't have to know it at that level. But if you're in an environment where you're building a Kubernetes product, you got to know how to speak Kubernetes. You have to yeah. Or else yeah. you're not going to do well, or, you know, you're just, you're going to be uh, skating along kind of, in my opinion. I, I think so. I, I mean, I do want to be a little bit careful because I think that the understanding, you know, the problems at a higher layer, a more abstract mm-hmm. layer, understanding the problems that Kubernetes solves, why people are using it. By the way, my short answer for that, which is very non-marketing, is that this is the API for infrastructure. Mm-hmm. that everybody wants to use, like the API um, for deploying your containers and all this stuff. Uh, but from a marketing perspective, you know, understanding the value drivers, understanding why this is better than something else or why it's better than something competition is doing or whatever is a very important function of product management and, you know, or, or product marketing. And, and I'm not trying to pitch marketing here, I, but I do appreciate it. And I do think that those functions are very important. So, and there's an art to it as well. I'm not a professional. I'm not great at it. I work with other people who are. Um, but I think that you, you know, though you could, you could, you, you need to choose where you're spending your time depending on what's going on. So maybe I do need to spend more time working with marketing for some time. And other times I need to spend more time with engineering and then come back again. So totally makes sense. Yeah. I, I wouldn't say that they, that a person couldn't still be adding value overall to your organization because they don't have the engineering tie-in or the mm-hmm. CKA part, but you definitely need this mixture within your organization to be effective, to join, join the gaps. Yeah, no, totally. And I think that's kind of what goes back to, so I, I, sh- I should rephrase and say, when I was asking you that question, I was talking more about the TPM, the technical product TPM. manager. Yeah. Yeah. yeah for yeah. TPM, I would say yes. Yeah. Uh, yes, very much. And mm-hmm. actually in my team, um, so I've got uh, UX docs and product management mm-hmm. and all of them I've said, I highly encourage anybody in any of these functions to go and do some of the training or certifications because we're hiring people who have, you know, tech writers who haven't done Kubernetes before either. Mm-hmm. And I kind of want them to bootstrap and not just, you know, try to follow along as much as, as they can, but actually to prepare. Totally makes sense. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. All right. So 
wrapping up here, oh, number one, I'd like to thank you so much for being on the show. Number two, I would like to give you the opportunity to plug anything you'd like. If you, I don't know if you do have a blog, I know you have a podcast, anything that you'd like to plug, let's go ahead and do that. Well, my podcast isn't um, as prolific as, as yours, unfortunately, but it's called the Talco podcast. There are about three or four episodes on there. It's very interesting. We've had the CEO of Bahnhof, which is a sort of freedom ISP uh, in, in Sweden. Um, they're based in bunkers and around Stockholm, which is pretty cool. So talking to him was awesome. Um, I'm on Twitter, Anton Smith with a five for an S. It's a bit nerdy, I know. No spaces or underscores. And um, what else? Like, check out Maz. If you haven't checked out Maz, M-A-A-S.io. I, it's an open source project, so that's why I feel pretty happy to mm. plug it. It's a bare metal management platform for, like, mm. for spinning up your own machines. I just got a soft spot for that, awesome. that piece of software. It's just cool. Cool. All right. Well, Anton, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. And for everybody that's listening, thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you for having me.